and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. I'm really excited about our show today because this is a topic we have not yet discussed. We are going to be talking about Tibetan yoga. And my guest today is Dr. Alejandro Chaul. He is a senior teacher at the Three Doors and has studied in the Tibetan tradition for over 25 years. He has completed the seven-year training at Ligmincha Institute and holds a PhD in Tibetan religions from Rice University. Dr. Chaul is Director for Research of Ligmincha International and the Founding Director of the Mind-Body-Spirit Institute at the Young Center of Houston. So welcome, Dr. Alejandro. Thank you, April. So nice to be with you. Yes, and so your book came across my desk, and it is called Tibetan Yoga for Health and Well-Being, The Science and Practice of Healing Your Body, Energy, and Mind. And this is my first introduction to Tibetan yoga. Okay, Um, so I can tell you whatever, you know, you're interested in. Um, I'll try my best. Okay, yes. Well, first, how I would like to start off is um, I kind of said before our show that I really didn't want to mess up any of the names of your teachers who have been teaching this tradition for a very long time. So I would like you to let our listeners know how you got involved in Tibetan yoga and also let us know who you were taught by and these people that were so influential in your life to, um, you know, make this be kind of your life purpose here. Yes. Um, So... Let me try and condense it. Um, <clears throat> but really, my interest in Tibetan yoga and Tibetan spirituality in general uh, came um, when I was in college and was, um, even though I was doing advertising at that time, um, I got then interest in philosophy and particularly actually first kind of Greek philosophers. But this aspect of teacher student, student, the academy kind of you know, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, this part was always very important to me. And so when I went to India after I finished college and I went looking for a teacher and I found first some Indian teachers, um, then I was really kind of struck by the Tibetans. I was in Ladakh, which is in that north area of India where it makes like a little mushroom that it's a very Tibetan area. I didn't know much about Tibetan uh, stuff yet. And I met many uh, monastery in monasteries. I met many monks, and there was always this picture of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And after being there for a little over a month and doing then a Hindu pilgrimage, I got um, I went down to Srinagar uh, with a Muslim family, and I noticed that the Dalai Lama had just been uh, awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. So we're talking 1989, and so that. Really, it was interesting. It, it it felt to me like I was so happy, like if it was my mother or my father um, hadn't been, you know, awarded this prize. And, and that was a big um, connection with the Tibetan tradition that I got to meet His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Uh, many things uh, happened. I got uh, involved in with different other Tibetan teachers. And finally, as I got involved within this particular burn uh, tradition, 
um, through his holiness Lungto Tempanima and Lopan Tenzing Namda Rinpoche and Tenzing Wanja Rinpoche, I really started studying the Tibetan yoga, which is what we call Salung Trulkor, or kind of the magical movements using your subtle body of breath and channels. Great. Thank you for that. And I would like to um, move into next, um, you know, to ask you, what is the difference between Tibetan yoga and regular yoga? But there was a very striking um, paragraph in your book right in the introduction that I loved and I wanted to read it to our listeners because I think, you know, any of our listeners maybe who are energy workers, yoga teachers, or uh, listeners who have practiced yoga or have had some sort of experience where they're connecting the mind and the body and the breath, they will totally agree with this. And I, I agree with it too. And you said it so eloquently, but you said, although mainstream Western medicine has not totally recognized or embraced the connection between physical illness and energetic or mental obstacles, there are new paradigms in the emerging field of complementary and integrative medicine that do acknowledge it and are more akin to and congruent with Asian systems. And that was just so refreshing to read. And because I am a true believer in that, I don't understand how we could just treat the physical body and not treat, you know, the emotional, the spiritual, um, you know, connected with it. So, and then as I was learning and reading your book about Tibetan yoga, I was like, oh, wow, I, I'm going to have to look up and see if this is being taught anywhere near me because it just makes a lot of sense. So maybe we can start taking our listeners through what Tibetan yoga actually is because there's a lot of different. Um, um, you know, magical movements that are involved. I know it's connecting the mind, the breath, and the body. There's different postures to be held, and it's also working within the chakra system. So it sounds sounds complicated, but fascinating. <laughs> so yeah, for those who are working in different other mind-body practices, some of the things, at least the um, um, the different items, if you would, uh, they'll be familiar, even though maybe in the way that we do it in the Tibetan yoga, it might be slightly different. Um, and I also mentioned some uh, similarities and differences, for example, with yoga coming from India, with mind-body practices coming from China, like Tai Chi and Qigong. So in a nutshell, um, one of the things that we do in Tibetan yoga is that we actually start with the mind. So we start calming the mind, kind of the what I call or what they call the the monkey mind, this mind that goes from thought to thought and emotion to emotion, and in a way bring it more an embodied mind or more like a heart mind. You can think that in a way, the heart mind is more the, the real abiding place, the inner home of our mind. Um, and so as we meditate and are able to be there, we can connect to a deeper aspect of the breath as well. So in some traditions, they would call the prana or the chi. In the Tibetan tradition, we call that lung. And so as we are engaging with the lung, with this subtle aspect of the breath, we can connect through them through different channels um, that, you know, I mean, in some traditions, they, they also, they would call them nadis or the meridians and so forth. And so these are the, where the uh, breath energy travels and it's guided by the mind. So you start with the mind, guiding that breath energy, and then through the channels, the subtle body, and then the movements enable you to guide that in particular ways. So one of the things in this system, and we call it trulkor, or they call it trunkor, which is magical movements, um, because the magical part is this aspect of the experiences that, that they can arise. Um, 
And so one of the things I want to mention is, first of all, in the Tibetan yoga, you breathe in, you hold the breath. So the mind holds the breath. So in that way, the mind is not wandering. It's being held, sometimes with a particular retention, sometimes with no retention, sometimes in a particular chakra, sometimes in the whole body. And then you do a particular movement. That movement kind of as it stirs that area, it opens up that area, kind of cleans whatever stuff is there. And then so when you exhale in that more limpid and more clean state, then you rest in that more openness. And so, in a way, that's, that's the mechanics of, of the Tibetan yoga. Um, but you do start by training the mind, then engaging the breath, then engaging the body. Yeah, so can you also then uh, explain what the different movements are like? Of course, of course. And so once we, we start to get into the movements themselves, in this particular text that I'm describing in, in, in this book that is called the Instructions of the Ah, Ah here meaning representing your natural state of mind. Um, so every movement um, has, is, oh, this system is divided in five according to uh, five chakras. So I know in other systems, uh, there's seven chakras. It's not that we lost two chakras. Is in this system there's five. In other systems there's more. We actually some of these texts talk about thousands of chakras. But in this, five chakras also relate to the five kinds of breath or prana or lung or chi that relate to the Tibetan medicine, also to Indian medicine. And so these are functions of that breath. So an upward moving breath a life force breath, a downward moving breath, a pervasive breath, and a fire-like breath. And so each of the movements engages with one of these chakras and one of these breaths. And this particular text uh, has particular movements for each of these five. So as we go through the practices, we're opening the different chakras, we're opening the channels, and we're opening ourselves to be in that experience, to be able to first experience that state of awe, and then abide longer in it, not only during the meditation and the yoga, but hopefully also kind of beyond the mat, beyond the cushion, because even if we practice an hour a day, we still have another 23 hours. We want to still be engaged in a, in a positive way with ourselves and others. And when you're talking about the five uh, chakras as well, one of, one of the things that I noticed in your book is as you're setting up, um, you know, showing people the different movements, you have a body part, the chakra that it's connected to the breath energy, and then the element. So, um, with the five chakras in this system, it's also connecting to five elements, which I thought was interesting. Correct. Um, there is a correlation with the elements. Um, and actually, uh, uh, one of my teachers, Senzu Wanja Rinpoche, has another wonderful book called Awakening Your Sacred Body that has another, another five movements that relate exactly to the same system and comes from this chapter of the elements. Now, in this book, also, the elements are mentioned, as you well said. And so, for example, when we work with the heart chakra, we connect and open with the space element. When we connect uh, with the navel chakra, we connect to the fire element. 
and so forth. So I can tell you all five. Uh, they are in the book, but I'm happy to go over different things and um, and different practices. Yeah, I, I would like you to go over the elements. I'm also curious, you know, in in this practice, do they believe that the human body comes from all of the elements of the universe, or why why are the elements connected in this type of yoga? Yes, very good question. Because yes, we do have kind of the external. So these elements. So it's earth water, fire, air, and space. These is how we call the, the five elements. And the five elements are both external, so they are in nature, they are in our environment, and those are internal as well. So when we look at our body, our flesh and bones are actually made of the element of earth. When we look, when we feel all the liquids, including our blood and all the fluids in our body are related to water. When we feel the warmth in our body, that's related to fire. Our breath is related um, to air, and our consciousness is related to space. And so in that way, it's all interrelated from the external to the internal. Perfect. And um, then I was thinking, wait, but are you missing mineral? What about the element of mineral? But. But I guess that would maybe go with the earth, right? Because that's that, comprised yeah. of the earth, right? Correct. That will go with the earth. And so as we do these movements, we are engaging in a deeper relationship to the elements. And sometimes we actually do the practices outside as a way of relating deeper to the elements. Uh, because there's no doubt that by, by relating outside with the elements, you can relate more inside as well. Um, and as we relate, it's not just the element itself, but the subtleties of the elements, you start relating with the qualities, right? So, for example, if you think, if you start experiencing space, there's a sense of openness. So we can call it spaciousness, we can call it openness, the sense of expansiveness. Um, the space itself, it's not expanding, it's not moving, it's, it's not growing or, or reducing, but our relationship to to it does. So the space is always there, open and wide and allowing everything. So our relationship to that through these practices can change and we can be more settled in that openness, connecting to our own spaciousness. As we relate to fire, we can relate to both the warmth in our body, but also to our creativity. Um, also, if we have if we don't work well with the fire, it can burn us, right? So all these elements have kind of a supportive quality and a hindering quality. Uh, water, for example, can be a very supportive quality in terms of comfort and pleasure and being able to do things in a comfortable way. Uh, but also sometimes if it's too comfortable, sometimes you don't get to do things that you want. Um, and earth also, similarly, you have those kind of support, you say like earth, like a mountain, and that sense of being stable and support, but also kind of too earthy. Uh, and then here, sometimes earthy and water together get to be a little too sluggish, sluggish, right? And so, so each of them have their advantages and disadvantages. Wind, for example, can be a very wonderful element in terms of inner flexibility and being able to flow with things, even difficult things. But actually, sometimes we are very windy in the sense of uh, uh, like our mind is windy or spacey. 
Uh, and so um, then we don't have the feet on the ground uh, to say it in one way. And so the idea is really to balance the elements. And in the Tibetan medicine as well, in the Tibetan yoga, the importance of working with the elements is to find a balance of them in you. And I know that you have this listed in the book as well, but can you uh, go over and describe for our listeners what are some of the benefits of these movements? Like what, what could somebody like myself maybe who has never done this, and maybe you can give me some feedback of what some of your students have said that might have been new to this and, you know, go through one of your workshops or, or trainings or classes and they come out of it and they say, whoa, I felt this, or I can't believe this happened. Um, you know, what could a person expect uh, the benefits to be when they not only first start this, but maybe start incorporating it into their life. Um, and I know that you described that you become more connected with the elements and that in itself. But I know us, you know, in the Western culture, it's kind of like, well, what's in it for me? How long do I have to do it? <laughs> um, when will I see results? And how is this going to help? <laughs> right. So I think there's different things for different people. And uh, as you might have read as well, we have done research in this with different populations, particularly I worked in a cancer center. So I worked quite a bit with people with cancer. Um, and, and for example, one of the things that we noticed is that for people that were uh, undergoing lymphoma treatment, for example, um, they were able to sleep better. Uh, to have better sleep quality, better sleep quantity, better sleep latency, which is the moment you want to go to sleep until you fall asleep and with less sleep medicine. Now, for someone who's very young, this might not seem a big deal. And when actually we got these results, I, I was young and I remember saying, is that a big deal? And I didn't realize how what a big deal sleep is in this country. And particularly, of course, when you're going through an illness like cancer. So being able to rest your mind and body in that way, it's, it was, it was a, a very important thing. So that's one of the benefits. The other benefit is that as you do that too, you're able to reduce your stress. We live, most of us live lives with a high uh, um, recurrence in stress. So it becomes like a chronic stress. So being able to get into not only the relaxation response that I talk about as well from Herbert Benson, but actually in able to sustain a relaxed and yet aware state of mind is very important, not just as I was saying earlier, as we are doing it in our cushion or mat, but as we engage in our everyday life, as we have more energy in our, as we engage in our jobs, in our relationships, and, in, and particularly in how we are able to maintain ourselves in more balance uh, and not get so pulled away or almost hijacked by our own emotions. And so these are some of the, the benefits. Some other of the benefits that some of uh, uh, people who have practiced and my students and so forth have mentioned is um, change, body things where um, I, I, you know, a student that had a, a, an issue in one leg uh, after practicing uh, for, you know, a few months noticed that that pain totally went away. Uh, different parts of the body can realign, but but you also have to be careful uh, when you practice it because particularly if you have issues in the body, you want to have someone to, to overlook um, what you're doing. In terms of the breath, 
there's openings at all different levels. There's a, able to sustain more breath. We have done this with people with lung cancer and their caregivers and able to hold the breath longer and to actually feel better, so a sense of greater well-being. Um, in that particular study, because it was patients and their caregivers, as they practiced together, there was a, a, a stronger bond between um, the couples. Um, and so these are, are some of the benefits. And in terms of the mind, um, in a way, being able not to be so much in our uh, monkey mind and really um, uh, start having experiences of these, uh, what I'm calling here, the ah state of mind, since the texts talk about instructions of the ah, but this natural state of mind, meditative state of mind. And again, the more we familiarize with that during the practice, the more we can be in that during our everyday life. So in a way, there's benefits at all um, different different levels. The other question that you mentioned that was interesting is, so how often do I need to practice? How much do I need to practice? And this is a, a question that we also have often. And, you know, on one hand, when I ask my teachers, um, they would say, well, of course, the best is to practice every day. And uh, a lot of the literature in mind-body practices, as well as exercise um, and changing behaviors, would say that you need around six months to make that change, to really start including it as part of your lifestyle. Uh, what we have found in one of our uh, recent um, uh, studies is that in order to maintain the benefits that we had found, people need to practice at least three times a week. Um, and so these are some of the ways that you can start engaging in the practices. I do believe um, that in order to do these practices well and to really uh, reap the benefits, um, it is important to have the right uh, teachers and to have uh, to sustain your practice. Sometimes group practices are useful. And, um, and so that's why we're also trying to do more trainings and so forth. And was it your idea to begin more research at the Ligmincha um, International? Because I know you're the director there. So was there somebody kind of poking or prodding you to say, okay, come on, let's let's get some research because we know people are going to be asking these questions and, you know, want to know really what the efficacy is, is of it or if there's actually real results that people can benefit from. But tell us a little bit how you got into doing some of this research. Yeah, and that in a way kind of grew organically. Um, so um, I was, as I was doing my PhD at Rice, uh, I noticed that right across we had this huge medical center, and um, and so um, after actually my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer, and he now turned eighty, so he's doing well. Um, he, uh, I, I started volunteering at MD Anderson, and I started volunteering doing these practices. I asked my teacher, Tenzin Rinpoche, what he thought. He was very supportive. And so I started volunteering a class that I call Connecting with Your Heart, uh, which is a simple meditation that I also have in the book. And, um, and then from there, uh, Dr. Lorenzo Cohen, who's the director of integrative medicine program, said, what about doing research? So it was actually his idea of saying, I, I was not involved in research and then. I didn't really know this kind of clinical research. And so, again, I asked my teachers, Lopan Tenzi Namdak and Tenzi Wanja Rinpoche. Again, they were very supportive. Tenzi Wanja Rinpoche stayed as an advisor all through. And, um, and so I started doing 
the research, and um, and I felt this is this is wonderful. And uh, particularly, I mean, I have to admit, my first intention was, it's great not only that people get to know this, but to really be working <clears throat> together with this researcher and with my teacher, and being able to be kind of a mediator for helping this come into this arena, it was great. And so it was after a few years of doing this research that then we decided at Ligmincha to establish the position of director for research. So it was kind of an organic growth. And then with that, we're doing actually conferences showing not just this research, but other researchers in this area. And we try and do a conference um, every couple of years. And do you guys actually have some of this research published anywhere if people wanted to read uh, what your studies were? Yes, and actually, um, uh, they, they are published. They are, uh, for those who have access, for example, to PubMed, you can find them. But also, I put them in the in the um, in the endnotes, and so I have many of our research studies are there. So if you look in the endnotes, kind of pages eighty nine to ninety two, there's um, there's a few of our research studies that are there, and people can access them. Um, and so, and also, if you look in my website alechaul.com, and you look, look into my bio, it reaches into my professional bio and all my um, uh, articles. And so, you can look at that research. And then, of course, if you're interested in broader research, not just our own research, and you look meditation and and whatever particular illness or meditation uh, in any kind of investigation or research or yoga, there's a lot going on. Uh, the, what it, it really has exploded in the last couple of decades. Yeah, I, yeah, and actually, I do see those in the end notes now. Um, there's there's quite a bit actually, so that's that's great, wonderful. Yeah, no, it's been great. I mean, I'm 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 really happy that my teachers were so supportive for me to do this research, and that. The hospital, in particular, Lorenzo Cohen, was so open uh, to engage in this research practices. And, and partly also he has his own kind of lineage because his grandmother was Vandas Caravelli, a famous yoga teacher. And so he had that interest. And, um, and actually, was thanks also, I have to thank Yoga Journal because in the year 2000, they did an article and they call it Into the Mystic. And it was about Tibetan yoga that no one knew about much because it is quite secret. And it, it, it showed a few, and, and actually they took pictures of what I was doing and, and interviewed me. And, and that uh, kind of helped Lorenzo to say, oh, okay, I, I can see some of this, what this is about. And then, of course, when he met Tenzin Wonder Rinpoche, when we started working together, we created a really strong team. Yeah, and I'm noticing more and more with more uh, people that I am talking to through this podcast that it almost seems like the medical you know, community, I, I'm really loving uh, to actually see this connection where the medical community seems to be embracing more of these, I don't know if you want to call them holistic methods or Eastern medicine, Eastern traditions, but I kind of feel like Western medicine is now being bombarded with all of this they can't turn away. And you know, now I'm seeing the community starting to come together in all of these aspects, which is really great. Yeah, and particularly, so the way that we do it, and, and that was also very fortunate for me, that um, the way that uh, MD Anderson was doing it is we created an integrative medicine program. And so by doing that, it was not an alternative medicine. So we're not saying, okay, 
for you who have this particular cancer, forget the chemo, forget the radio, come and do this yoga. No, we're not saying that. We're saying you do what, you know, what your oncologist says. But in addition to that, look at what other things, how can we help with your symptoms? How can we help with your well-being? And so we're working together with the oncologist. And as we start doing that, the oncologists themselves are saying, oh, this is great. It's actually helping my patients. And so through that interaction, um, the, the scientific community and the clinical community are opening because they're seeing not only that the, the benefits, but they're also seeing that we're into collaboration. We're not trying to, to get their patients out of them. And so that has been very important to the point that today in our integrative medicine center, you know, I have a clinic uh, where I do meditation with patients individually, and they get referred to me for things that they have evidence for. So in a way, it's all evidence informed. So um, they would bring uh, to me patients that either have anxiety or stress or issues with sleep or cognitive issues, things that we have researched and we found that there's, there's possibilities through, through these practices to help them out. But then, for example, if they would have dry mouth due to, uh, you know, to, um, to uh, burning from the, the radiation, uh, what they call serostomia, then they would go to acupuncture. They wouldn't send to meditation. So that's how we work. We work where the evidence is. And that's been very important for the medical community. Yes. And I like what you said uh, earlier, too, about that. It's not like you're in competition or trying to take their patients away. It's more working together as a team. You know, everybody has their own ex expertise in each area. Correct. And so what happens is, so for, for example, when, when I see a patient, so they, the oncologist writes down the clinical notes and I open them up, I see what they wrote. And then when I see the patient, I write my notes in the same place. So we all are interconnected and actually the patient has access to all the notes as well. And so we're all together in this. The doctors, the, all the different kinds of doctors, medical and otherwise, all the different practitioners and the patient, we all are together helping the health uh, and well-being of the patient and of the family because that's another huge issue is helping um, the family and the caregivers. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit more about the Young Center of Houston? Sure. So the Young Center of Houston is, a, is an institution that has been here for over 60 years and kind of following Carl Jung's ideas, it's not just about psychology, but really opening up to all these different experiences that support, in a way, the human spirit. <clears throat> and so it could be things from art to spirituality and so forth. And so I've been teaching there for a number of years, actually, when Tenzi Wanjiru Rinpoche uh, was here, also taught there, and when we bring him every year, we, we do it there. And so um, I've been noticing uh, a growing interest in mind-body uh, practices. And so um, uh, together with the director there, Sean Fitzpatrick, with whom we did part of grad school together, uh, we decided to open a particular institute within the Jung Center, and we call it the Mind-Body-Spirit Institute. And the idea of this institute is, on one hand, really bring these uh, practices, but also to address an issue that has become very relevant today, which is burnout, particularly in healthcare communities. So physicians, nurses, and all other healthcare providers 
now express a really high rate of burnout, sometimes over 50%, which trickles down uh, uh, to, to us, to, you know, when we're as patients or, uh, and so to the community in general. And so I want to help in that regards. And I have a program that I call CPR, but this CPR is Compassionate Professional Renewal. Mm -hmm. um, so really trying to address uh, the professional stress and burnout and to really bring compassion, even bring it out of, sometimes it is because of their over empathy, but really understanding that that itself could burn you out unless you do it in a place where there's more balance and compassion. Um, and actually we're gonna bring it not just to the healthcare communities, but other businesses that where employees are feeling similar uh, symptoms. And so um, it's really, it's something that we recently started and it's becoming uh, really, really, uh, for me, uh, a passion. We just did uh, this Monday a big workshop on vicarious trauma for a community of, of um, translators. And this is because translators, particularly when they are in these situations, let's say with a cancer patient or with someone in jail, or they, they translate in the first person. So they have to say, I have cancer or I have the symptoms. And sometimes they stay with that and they don't know how to cope with that. So thanks to MasterWord, uh, which is a big translating company, we did together this workshop to help those out. And I've been uh, helping this community for a number of years, and I think it's a wonderful community. So I think the Jung Center is a fantastic place for this Mind, Body, Spirit Institute to grow and flourish and have these opportunities to help our communities. And are you guys also um, working with, say, first responders, um, you know, police officers, military at all? We, 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 we are thinking of going into uh, some of those areas. So, for example, some of the areas that we worked a little bit with was uh, during Harvey and um, kind of helping with uh, mental health. Um, so, but we are, we're getting more into it. We are, we're just a very, even though the Jung Center has been here for 60 years, the Mind, Body, Spirit Institute is just nascent. We just, we, we haven't turned a year old yet. And so, but yes, we are planning to, to address different issues as, 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 as these communities also open up to these needs. Yeah, because, you know, just as you were talking about compassion fatigue, you know, in the medical community and, you know, vicarious traumatization, uh, you know, just thinking about our first responders and military and police officers, you know, a lot of times they really don't have, you know, access to or want the quote unquote mental health stigma of actually going to some sort of therapy. Um, some of them are not allowed to take prescription medications, depending upon, you know, what their job is, say, in the military or, you know, things like that there can be such a large stigma and I feel like something um, like your institute of what you're doing is that that's just such a, a population that needs this stuff so much you know that can almost be introduced to them in a way where it won't be threatening or have this stigma uh, you know attached to it but they are getting that release um, that they need because they're you know these are some people that are seeing some of the most terrific things that are happening on our planet and that's a lot to hold yes no you're totally right and we are talking to some of those communities but we are hoping that uh, we are able to reach out more and then they reach out to us as 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 um and and to see what are the what are the uh, kind of um, techniques and things that they need and so part of what these institute is doing is also 
um, not saying, okay, these are our tools and whether you like them or not, but actually trying to see what are the tools that would be useful for you, you know? Um, and, and sometimes it's about small tips that might be particularly useful, um, you know? So I'll, I'll give you one as an example, which is, for example, for medical providers, although everyone washes their hands, right? But um, the example of washing hands, uh, so a good friend of mine, Jim Duffy, who used to uh, work here and now is at Kaiser Permanente, he would say, you know, Ale, in each of the patient's room, we now have a meditation device, and that's the gel. You know, you wash your hands and you also, in a way, wash your mind. And that means that when you're there, you're fully there. So whether it's in the few minutes that you have with that patient and family, or whether it's when you go back home and are back with your spouse or family, or you're having a cup of tea with a good friend, that it's a way of clearing your mind to really be fully present there. So those kind of tips can be very helpful. And for different professions, there might be different things that might be helpful for them and different practices that might be helpful. So uh, partly is doing together a curriculum that would work for them. Yeah. And um, how how is it funded? Are you guys grant? Is it nonprofit? Um, how does that, I mean, because, you know, I see all these workshops that you have going on. I'm like, OK, well, you know, do people pay for them when they come or how is how is it all being yeah. funded? So the ones so, so there are some that people pay for. There are some that the institute like if we do something for a specific institution is the institution uh, which pays for. We do have philanthropy as well and we are applying to grants as well. So really, there's there's a mixed bag, and 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 of course, for some uh, for some situations, we do it for free when they need it. Um, but as you say, we we do need to maintain sustainability, and 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 we're open to uh, different ways of being funded, and philanthropy is a big one. Great. Yeah. And you never know who's listening. Right. So if people, you know, check right. out your website and, and see maybe people, you know, want to donate their money to something that feels, you know, very connected to them and something that they believe in. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. It's always nice to hear that, you know, maybe that possibility opens up. And, and so our website is MBSI, which is Mind, Body, Spirit Institute, Houston, all one word. So MBSIHouston.org. Um, and um, and my own website is alechaul a l e c h a o u l dot com. Great, <laughs> and your dog is very excited about that. Very, very excited about yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for um, bringing this introduction really into my life. Um, it's great. Like I said, I didn't even know that it was out there. And when be actually before we end too, I know that you do have a little bit of the history in the book of how it came over to the West. But um, you know, can you let us know a little bit more about that? So Tibetan yoga is, uh, in a way, a secret practice. So it's been, uh, although it's been practiced for centuries, uh, many times it's only in monasteries or yogic communities and long retreats. And so, um, but uh, thanks to teachers that decided to open it up, like Namkai Norbu Rinpoche with the Dzogchen community, what he calls Yantra Yoga, and then Tenzi Wanja Rinpoche, 
with uh, the Ligmincha Institute, um, these started being more open. I've been very fortunate to learn it in the monasteries. And then uh, Tenzin Wanderimpache was the one who said, why don't we start teaching it in our retreats? And so I, he asked me to start teaching it in 94 and 95, and then said, why don't we open it more and start doing trainings? And, um, and that's how we started. And uh, since then, I have been very lucky to go back to the monasteries or sometimes bring some of the teachers here and always continue asking questions. And I used uh, the opportunity of doing grad graduate work. So my uh, dissertation is on Tibetan yoga. So that allowed me to really explore the text and really ask a lot of questions to these uh, monks and lamas and practitioners and, and really to um, both doing it from the academic side as well as the practice side. So my questions came from both, from what did the text say as well as what my own practice, uh, you know, challenges and so forth. And so um, it's been a great journey. I, I couldn't thank Tenzin Wanja Rinpoche enough as well as Lopon Tenzin Namdak, uh, his son is Lungto Tempanema who recently uh, passed away and I was in his cremation when I decided to um, uh, honor him, um, you know, dedicate the book to him because it was this particular yoga I learned from him and from Lopontin Lanima. And so uh, just being, having the support of the Tibetan community as we bring these things out has been uh, just fantastic. And I was just recently in France uh, teaching on this and then went to visit my 94-year-old teacher, Lopontensi Namdak, and showed him this. And, and the Tibetan community there also was incredibly supportive. So it's just very rewarding to see how um, these are coming in a, in a way that uh, are both supportive from the Tibetan community as well as uh, the opening in the West. So it is coming slowly. So as we say in Tibetan, kale kale. But I think uh, with this book and other things, um, it's going to be uh, growing. But we also try to do it in a way that is um, intentional and conscious. And we don't want it to just spread out in a way that uh, people then are doing Tibetan yoga without really knowing what they're doing. Right. Yeah, that that was going to be one of my questions. So I'm happy to hear that there is support because I was wondering if you had gotten any, you know, backlash at all from trying to bring it out from something that was more a little more secretive out to more of the mainstream. But I think, you know, what you just said is so important is, you know, how do you keep it um, to the traditional type of how it was taught and not let people just run away with it. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're mixing, say, Tibetan yoga with something else, you know, and somebody's altering some of these movements and styles because they've learned something else from another type of uh, teaching and think that it would be great to integrate. And there will be people doing that. We can't police it. Right. Um, and also there will be people, as you say, kind of flashing back, oh, how can you do this? Um, but at the end, for me, it's I'm doing it with my teachers, with the, their support, quest, asking them what what should we do? What shouldn't we do? And so I feel very comfortable as of uh, in this path with their support. Great. Well, thank you. As I said, this was new, very new to me. I really enjoyed your book. And for our listeners, again, it's Tibetan Yoga for Health and Well-Being. And we are speaking to Dr. Alejandro Chaul. And thank you. This was this was a great. Great discussion. Yes, thank you, April, and hope uh, I'll see you in one of the workshops. That I guess the closest to you uh, will be in November in our Ligmincha International Center, which is in Char close to Charlottesville, Virginia.
Okay. We call Serenity Ridge, so it couldn't be better. And uh, and so that website is ligmincha.org, L-I-G-M-I-N-C-H-A.org, November 1st to the 4th. So hopefully we'll see some of you there. Great. And thank you for being a guest on the Path 11 podcast. Thank you so much for having me, April. If you want more information about our films, visit our website, path11productions.com, to purchase DVDs or to rent and stream each film. You can also find our trilogy of films on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Gaia.com. You can still use our smartphone app for both Android and iPhones. Just search for Path 11 in the Google Play App Store, or if on an iPhone, look for Path 11 in the iOS App Store. Catch you next time.